Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 92 of the Healthy Gut Podcast, and I'm joined today by naturopath Natalie Crutterdon, who is in fact my own naturopath and who is the woman who I credit uh, for helping me regain so much health and vitality after telling me five and a half years ago that she knew why I felt so sick and what was at the uh, cause of my tummy troubles, and that was small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Natalie's been on the show before. If you'd like to take a listen, she was with us in episode five, um, way back at the start of when I did the Healthy Gut podcast. And uh, we talked all about how naturopathy and SIBO work really well together. Now, don't forget, guys, if you'd like the full transcription from today's episode, you can get it for free. You just need to be a member of the Healthy Gut podcast. And to do that, all you need to do is sign up for free at the Healthy Gut dot com forward slash podcast. Natalie, welcome back to the podcast and it's great to have you on today to talk all about natural SIBO treatments. Thanks, Rebecca. It's I can't believe where you're up to episode 92 and the last time we did this was episode five. Along, yeah, a lot's happened in that time. <laughs> it's been a crazy ride when I yeah. first launched the Healthy Gut podcast. I did not realise I was going to be doing three seasons and beyond and, and uh, we'll be getting to episode 100 really soon, which is an amazing achievement of 100 yeah. episodes on all things SIBO and gut health. Yep, it really is. It's brilliant what you're doing. I think it's great, helping lots of people. Great. Well, yeah. thank you, Natalie. And, and you also are helping lots of people. And we're here today to talk about uh, how you work in that natural realm to help people with their SIBO. So let's just start off with talking about, you know, your approach. You're a naturopath. What's your philosophy when it comes to working with somebody that's got gut issues? Uh, okay. So when people first come in for their initial appointment, some people know what SIBO is, some people don't. Some people think they may have SIBO, but when we go through their case, perhaps they don't. So the first thing is just to get as, a, as big a symptom picture as I can and then take into account the person's health history and they may have some predisposing factors towards particular um, diagnoses. And then I'm a huge advocate of testing. So I really do not like to go ahead and... Um, do various gut protocols without knowing exactly what we're treating first um, because what's, great, what's a great diet for one condition is not such, so great for another one. So then we'll test. And then if it's SIBO and if someone comes back with SIBO, it's really important to know what type of SIBO. So the testing is really important for that too. So we need to know whether they have a dominance of hydrogen-producing bacteria, methane-producing bacteria, perhaps a mix. Or sometimes you might get some odd-looking symptoms that might um, results that might actually indicate hydrogen sulfide overgrowth. So there's a few different things. Um, so as a naturopath, you know I turn towards herbal medicines predominantly for the treatment. Um, we knew we need to use dietary um, alterations as well to stop feeding the bacteria. Um, every now and again, people come saying they want to use 
antibiotics. And if they want to do that, we explore that as well, but it's not usually my first port of call. Yeah. So let's let's dive into the different types of herbal protocols or natural treatments that we can use for SIBO. So why don't we start off with talking about a hydrogen dominant SIBO patient? What are the options in terms of natural treatments for that person? Um, there are a lot more options for hydrogen than methane, so it's always it's it's a little bit easier generally. Uh, herbally, we want herbs that contain a compound called berberine. And there's a, a variety of different herbs that do that. There's one called philodendron, there's barberry, there's a, there's a whole range. So if you get a supplement that's designed specifically for SIBO, you will most likely have some kind of berberine-containing herb in there. So, for example, one product I use a lot in clinic is by Metagenics, and it's called Bactrix. And so that has philodendron, so the berberine's coming from there. But it's also got some essential oils. It's got oregano oil, thyme oil, I believe it's clove. Can't remember the third one. Um, it works brilliantly. So we give two capsules twice a day. For some people, that's too strong. And so we pull back. Some people, if we know they're sensitive, we wean them on gently. We don't just go straight into the two twice a day. Um, nine and a half times out of 10, it just works brilliantly. It just, it does the trick. So often um, for that situation, we don't need to do a lot of other supportive herbs. Um, there's also another uh, supplement called Parix and that contains pomegranate and pomegranate's amazing. So pomegranate works really well for hydrogen. It acts as a prebiotic, so it, it feeds the beneficial bacteria in the gut. So sometimes I'll combine the, the Bactrex with the Parix. It's also really good if people have any parasites. So it depends how that picture presents. Um, if people have trouble with the Bactrex, we can go to just a straight pomegranate, like Nutrition Care do a pomegranate. Um, we can sometimes just do straight oregano oil, but generally the combination herbs are uh, more effective, more quickly. Yeah. So that's fairly straightforward as far as SIBO goes. <laughs> yeah. And it's in fact what uh, I did, what you put me on last time that I was like, yep, the SIBO is definitely back. I can feel all my classic symptoms and I've always done really well on Bactrex. So, you know, I know right from the start, I uh, went on that when you first started seeing me all those years ago. Um, mm. And it's, I've always been able to tolerate it really well. Oh, Basil's in the background. <laughs> That's lovely. Basil. Hello, Basil. <laughs> For those of you watching the video version of this and you can see it on YouTube, you'll see my little Jack Russell has just decided to join us in the background sitting on the bed behind me. So it's always nice to have a little uh, friend being there for my interviews. He takes his job very seriously as quality control. <laughs> Um, it's a really interesting point you raised because so many of my um, SIBO coaching clients are the types of people that do react to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. They've come to me because they're not re responding well. They're looking for some extra support and guidance and recommendations on practitioners that really know their stuff. And many of them I send your way, <laughs> Natalie. So um, what do you do in that case? Like what should someone look for if they are starting to you know, if they've got hydrogen dominant SIBO, perhaps they've gone on to Bactrex and they're not sure what they should be looking for in case there is a reaction to that combination. Yeah. So generally if people are reacting, they'll, one of the main things is their diarrhea will worsen and they'll get crampy. They'll get lots of gut cramps. Um, sometimes, it, it, I mean, it's a, it can be quite subjective. It's something we really need to explore because sometimes people can get some physical symptoms, but they're feeling better within themselves. If people are feeling better within themselves, we usually write it out and within a few days, it just settles down and they're fine. But if someone's really having a reaction to Bactrex, that won't settle down. Sometimes they might also get headaches, they, they feel nausea, they just feel off. Um, I know there's different sort of philosophies about healing, the concept of a healing crisis. And some people perceive that to be very exciting and a good thing that they're killing the bacteria and, um, and that it's working. But I'm not a huge fan of that. I think even if it were a healing crisis, if it wasn't a reaction to the Bactrix per se, 
I just think your detoxification systems are being overwhelmed if you're responding that way. So I would much rather, often what we'll do is we'll stop the dosing entirely for a few days until the person's feeling back to normal. Then we'll reintroduce it at a lower dose. And if they get that again, then they're responding to the Bactrex is not a healing crisis. So then we have to look for different treatments. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. And, and I know that you know, anyone that started doing research on SIBO, which is really common when you first find out that you've got it, uh, you'll often come across the um, terminology that uh, around die-off. And so I, I know that people sometimes might um, think that they're experiencing die-off when in fact they're probably more likely to be having a really strong reaction to the herbal protocol. Do you see that happen as well? Uh, more often than not, yeah. So it's, it's, I think if the treatment's well managed, you shouldn't really be getting any healing crisis. Yeah. So, so mostly my concern is, is that they're reacting to the herbs. That's, that's really yeah. interesting to hear. Yeah. Just so for the listeners who perhaps aren't sure of what die-off is or what they might experience if they get it, mm. can you tell mm. me what you see with your patients around their die-off symptoms? Yeah, so die-off is essentially when you've got a bacterial overload and then the herbs are doing their job really well, the bacteria are dying, but your body still needs to process that. You still need to get that dead bacteria out of your system. And so often it will go via the gut and be um, expelled through your bowels, but your detox systems also include your lymphatic system. And so sometimes we'll see skin symptoms if the lymphatic system's overwhelmed through rashes and things like that. It can affect the urinary system. So it affects the liver. So really, I mean, if someone's having a healing crisis, they feel really rotten. They can feel almost fluey. So nausea and headaches, but also just sort of joint pains and, and, and really fatigued. It's, it's a it's a disproportionate reaction for what you should expect to be happening. So it's just that their detox systems are overwhelmed. And I think sometimes if people are having trouble, just say it is a healing crisis, it's not a reaction to herbs, that gives us a clue that perhaps we need to stop the SIBO treatment for the time being and just do some liver support, liver detox support, and um, often just some gut anti-inflammatory support. They often have leaky gut at the same time. And so... Although treating SIBO in many cases also resolves leaky gut, sometimes we have to go the other way around. We have to get the person's system settled, get their detox pathways working, and then go in with the SIBO treatment. Yeah. I think that's a really important point for my listeners to remember that, um, you know, sometimes we really need to listen to the body and what the body needs rather than what our mindset is. And we might be really headstrong in wanting to, you know, attack that SIBO, get rid of it, be gone, you horrible overgrowth. But maybe our body isn't quite ready for it just yet and we need some extra support. And it reminds me of when I first came to see you and I, my poor body was in such a bad way and you put me on, before we even did the SIBO breath test, uh, you had put me on just some supplementation called Energy X and I was so deficient in so much stuff. I remember coming back and saying, I feel so much better. And it just went to show that, you know, how depleted my body was before we even tackled the SIBO treatment. That came next. Yep, that's right. And often people are, because SIBO damages the brush border enzymes and because uh, it, you know, you're you're much higher risk of some nutrient deficiencies because you can't absorb the nutrients very well. Um, and so people can often, yeah, come from a depleted state and sometimes doing a treatment is just a little bit too much to ask for their body right now. So I think, yeah, if you, you know, it's great when people have got that attitude of, I'm just going to, I'm going to attack this, I'm going to do it. So if you can bring that attitude to your dietary choices and because you can, you can't, resolve the SIBO through diet, but you can control it a lot. So if you can have that really positive um, attitude about managing what you're eating and then let your body do the healing until you get to the, to the antimicrobial stage, then you'll be, you'll be raring to go by the time you get there. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. we've talked about two key herbal protocols that you regularly use, um, being pomegranate and then berberine. Are there other um, substances that can equally treat a hydrogen dominant case of SIBO? Well, in Australia, they're the main things that we use. There are some supplements overseas, um, biocidin, but that's a berberine 
plant-based things. But they're all often similar herbs, just different formulas. Um, I'd say that they're the main ones. We don't, um, there aren't a lot of sort of nutrients, you know, with methane we'll get to in a sec, but there are some prebiotics and probiotics that are helpful, but with the hydrogen, not so much, no. Yeah. So with, without further ado, then let's talk about <laughs> methane dominant SIBO. And that is uh, definitely the more challenging of the, uh, of hydrogen and SIBO, um, sorry, hydrogen methane SIBOs, although methane dominant is now being known as IMO rather than SIBO. Uh, let's talk about that. Why, for starters, is it more challenging to treat? So I think a few things are going on. So the, the methane, they're called archaea. They're not really bacteria, but the, the archaea, they, they can naturally live in our gut. You can have it in your large bowel and, not, and it not be an issue at all. But it's stubborn. It's really stubborn. It's really tricky to treat. I think one of the things that's gone on in the past, so now we've changed it, as you say, to EMO or IMO, um, intestinal methane overgrowth, because it's often been hard to judge whether, the back, whether that overgrowth is coming from the large bowel or the small bowel. And what you'll see on SIBO tests is often the, when the person has a, a positive methane, the very first breath reading is high, even before they've drunk the lactulose or the glucose or whatever, you know, challenge drink they're having. And then it stays high across the board. It's not all that often that it actually really peaks up in the beginning, but you can feel really certain it's small intestinal. So often those gases are just blooming up from a, a, an overgrowth from the large bowel. So I think... Um, with the SIBO treatment with methane, it's important to do some small intestinal treatment for the initial period, but not get stuck there for too long because you might do a follow-up breath test and you those levels might not have dropped dramatically, yet the person is feeling better and they're making progress. And then what actually what we need to do is give fibres and prebiotics and everything that you don't really give during SIBO to crowd out the methane that's in the large bowel. So often it's a little bit like candida, not symptoms wise, but just that when it gets a hold, it can become really dominant. And so you need to nourish the rest of the microbiome to crowd it out. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely trickier. It is. Mm. And anyone that's had mm. methane um, intestinal overgrowth will <laughs> say, yep, I know it's harder to get that all clear. Um, so let's talk about herbs. What would you use if somebody uh, presented with a methane overgrowth? Yeah, so um, definitely there are some really good garlic supplements that don't contain the fructose portion of the garlic. So even though you're not eating garlic, you can take the garlic. So in Australia, we have um, Ali Max by Biomedica. The UK make Ali Med, which is a really good um, herb to use. Um, Oh, Mediherb, I didn't mention before. Mediherb make a supplement called Bactocand GI, and that's really good for hydrogen, methane, and candida. So that's another option as well. Um, but outside of the herbs, there are some probiotics and prebiotics, as I mentioned before. Um, so PHGG, which is partially hydrolyzed guar gum, is a selective prebiotic. So I mean, maybe the people who are watching or listening who have SIBO might know that if you take a prebiotic when you've got SIBO, you'll often feel a lot worse. <laughs> you'll get a lot of bloating, a lot of gas, but PHGG doesn't do that. You do have to bring the dosing in. Uh, you have to graduate it because you have to start very low or you will get quite bloated and gassy, but it pulls down methane. Um, and then there is a probiotic um, called BioGaia, the brand is BioGaia and they're actually marketed as um, infant colic formula. They're drops and that very particular strain of probiotics pulls down the methane as well. Um, and actually, Rebecca, there was one other thing. Sorry, I forgot. When we were talking about both the hydrogen and this, you can use um, uh, biofilm disruptors. And so N-acetylcysteine is actually one of my favourites because NAC... Um, is a really important component for liver detoxification, but it also helps with that biofilm disruption. So if there's a really stubborn case and the Bactrex or whatever we're using isn't working, you can put in a biofilm disruptor, which, which um, 
disrupts the sort of mesh, the network that the bacteria make around themselves and then it allows the herbs to work more easily. So that's another option too. And do you think mm. that everybody should be using a biofilm disruptor as part of their treatment? I don't. I, only because I have, because I'm quite big on testing and we'll often, we'll test pre-treatment and then I really like to test around five or six weeks in. I don't expect the results to be negative, but I want to see that what we're doing is working because there's nothing more discouraging than doing a 12-week protocol and saying, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the same place I was three months ago. So we'll test. So I have done testing with people using biofilm disruptors and not using them. And the difference hasn't been significant at all, except for sometimes when we find a really stubborn case, then we'll bring it in. Yeah. I think that might vary from practitioner to practitioner, but that's been my experience with it. And it's funny in the SIBO world, uh, biofilm disruptors um, were such a hot thing for a period of time and it all kind of came out that they could help break down that kind of protective substance that the bacteria lay down. And everyone was saying, I must, you know, my practitioner wasn't doing a good enough job. I didn't take a biofilm disruptor. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting that uh, you don't see clinically that um, everybody needs it. And again, I think it comes back to that point that it's really useful for us to know information about this condition, but we are unique. Our bodies are unique. Our microbiome is unique. And so just because we read it on a blog, heard it on a podcast, saw an article about it, doesn't mean we necessarily need it for ourselves. That's so true. And I mean, I love the amount of information that's available. And my patients, so many of my patients come to me really knowledgeable. They, they've, they're very, they've done a lot of research in what's going on, which is great. But, I, but sometimes people do get a little bit lost and they might be taking supplements for the type of SIBO that they don't have or the dosing might be off, or they might be taking just so much stuff and you just think, hang on, you don't need to be doing, or it, it's not as, it doesn't need to be as complex as that. So yeah, yeah, it's good the information's there, but sometimes just being guided a little bit is helpful and more time efficient and more cost efficient in the long run, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, are there any other um, natural treatments then that you would use from a methane overgrowth perspective? So we've talked around the Alimax um, or the Allison being the active component with the, with the um, garlic um, extract uh, and then also a pre and probiotic. Uh, anything else yeah. in, your, in your kit bag that you use? Well, we'll use the pomegranate there sometimes as well. Um, I think that's all we use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then for the people that we you know, we've talked now about like a very dominant hydrogen, a very dominant methane, but what about the people that have really high numbers for both hydrogen and methane? And they're like, Oh my God, <laughs> what am yeah. I going to do? Um, do you have a focus where you approach hydrogen first or methane first, or what, what do you do with those people? Uh, we do them both at the same time. So it's not that much harder because say something like the Parex, you can use for both. Then you'll have the Bactrix on top of that. Then we'll have the garlic and then the PHGG. Sometimes the um, BioGaia, sometimes not. But it's not that, it, it does mean swallowing more capsules, but it's not that much harder to approach it all at the same time. And then... Also, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but it's good for people to know that if they've got high methane, and that when you retest, if you're being successful with pulling that methane down, sometimes the hydrogen will pop up. Yeah, because, because methane, the archaea love hydrogen, it's their fuel, they can be eating it all and the test looks as though you're, you don't have any hydrogen dominance, but once they're gone and they're not consuming it anymore, up goes the hydrogen. And that's often when you'll see a really mixed um, clinical picture where people will have diarrhea, but it tends to be constipated or alternate between the two. Uh, yeah, but no, definitely we go in and treat both at the same time. So yeah. let's turn our attention to hydrogen sulfide SIBO. So mm -hmm. we don't yet uh, have a test that to clinically diagnose. So we, the breath test doesn't pick up 
hydrogen sulfide, although I know that the, the very intelligent, <laughs> clever people of the world that, would, that do our SIBO breath test machines are uh, working um, on it at the, as we speak. But how do you then, Natalie, diagnose hydrogen sulfide SIBO? That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How do you then, Natalie, diagnose hydrogen sulfide SIBO? Mm. So mainly it's through symptoms. So that's, that's essentially what we'll base it on. Although you can sometimes see a little bit unusual results on someone's breath test. So if the breath test comes back, the hydrogen levels come back all zeros or all ones or ones and zeros, that's a really unusual negative test. Normally a negative hydrogen test will have, you know, a three and a seven and a five and it might even get up to an 11. Like it just sort of hovers around there. So just that very flat line is raises alarm bells, rings alarm bells. But the other things, so hydrogen sulfide um, SIBO can present similarly to um, just hydrogen overgrowth. So you can get the gas, bloating, diarrhea, you might get heartburn, reflux, burping, that whole sort of symptom picture but there are a few other clues. So um, often people will not tolerate alcohol at all. So even just one glass, half a glass, they feel dreadful. They'll have a hangover that's so disproportionate. And the same goes for things like um, preserved, dried fruit and things like that. They really struggle with it. Um, the hydrogen sulfide can be a, a strong mimicker of histamine intolerance. So often if people are breaking out in hives or having a lot of heat, burning, itchiness, all that stuff that goes, that's a clue as well. Um, things like a rapid heart rate, tachycardia, or getting dizzy very easily from lying down to sitting up. So there's a few other quirky little odd symptoms that go around it. And because we don't have a test, generally what I'll do is I'll ask people to follow a low sulfur diet for about four weeks. And we will well and truly know because we're, if people have it, they just feel so much better on that diet. So much better. Yeah. And what are the types of things, uh, if someone's listened to you say that and they're like, tick, tick, <laughs> tick, tick, yeah. because that's so often what happens. And my listeners all email me and say, oh my God, Rebecca, that was me. It was such a light bulb moment. Uh, yeah. What's a low sulfur diet? What, does, what are yeah. the key high sulfur foods that someone should be pulling out if they're suspecting yep. hydrogen sulfide SIBO? Yep. So, um, okay, we'll start off with a few things. So meat generally, red meat, is high, has high sulfur, yet very few people react to it. So the, with the sulfur diet, we tend to say, look, go towards turkey, chicken or fish if you can, but probably meat is okay, but it is theoretically high sulfur. Um, dairy is important. But the ones that actually are most interesting are the ones that we think are because of hydrogen SIBO, because it's garlic, onion, so it's that family. And then it's also brassicas. So, um, you know, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, that Brussels sprouts, that whole family, and eggs. So, um, so yeah, meat, dairy, eggs, onion, garlic, brassicas. I think they're the main ones. And interestingly, what we find as well is we get people to take all of them out for, yeah, four, four to six weeks, usually four is enough. Then we ask people to reintroduce them one at a time because strangely, 
people are usually only reacting to two or three. So you would think if you had an issue with sulfur, you couldn't have any of it, but it's usually just a couple of those foods. Uh, yeah, but um, uh, Dr. Narala Jacoby, who designed the biphasic diet, she's got a great um, handout on the low sulfur diet. So I could, I could provide that to you if you wanted it or, yeah. Um, yep. That'll be great. Well, yeah, we'll put that as a link in the show notes for anyone that's feeling like this might be part of their picture. So we've talked about the diet. Uh, Do you Mm. then do that in conjunction with a herbal protocol at the same time? Yeah. So it's quite different for hydrogen sulfide. Um, And this is where it can get tricky because people might also have hydrogen SIBO and have issues with sulfur. But anyway, that's getting complex. Usually if it's just straight up hydrogen sulfide, we don't use the biphasic diet. We don't want to limit foods more than is necessary. So we're just on the low sulfur diet. Um, Oregano oil can be really useful. Zinc is really useful. It binds the sulfur. So zinc supplementation is great. Um, But probably what I found the most useful is there's a herb called Codonopsis. And Codonopsis you can get in a tincture form, which is often how we prescribe our herbs. But in this instance, we actually use the root. So it's the dried root and people make a decoction of it. So you get 30 grams and you boil it for 10 minutes um, and then strain that off and drink that throughout the day. And it's brilliant for reducing um, the hydrogen sulfide bacteria. It's also called poor man's ginseng. And so ginseng is an energy tonic. It's an adaptogen and extremely expensive. So Codonopsis is not as expensive, but it does. It's still so... It's really good for managing stress. It's really good for energy, which often when people are unwell, there are issues for them as well. Um, And there's some evidence that it's a prebiotic so that it's helpful to the bacteria in your large bowel as well. So Codonopsis root is brilliant. Um, The other things that sometimes we will use is um, a particular form of B12, hydroxo B12, and uh, molybdenum. They don't affect the the bacteria that produce the hydrogen sulfide they don't kill them off but they support our sulfur pathways because when we take in dietary sulfur we need them to convert them into a form of sulfur that isn't problematic for us so that's the nutritional support um and this is when uh, the microbiome testing can be useful so even though the microbiome testing is only looking at our large bowel it does pick up hydrogen producing bacteria so you can see if you've got an overgrowth even in the large bowel and then we still would use that same protocol. Yeah. And I must say, I see hydrogen sulfide a lot. Yeah. It's pretty common, I think. Yeah. And even just mm. um, listening to you talk through the classic symptoms, I'm like, yep, yep. Like I'm yeah. thinking back <laughs> to me five years ago and and I'm sure that there was a hydrogen sulfide picture going on with me because there was a lot of, I just fit the bill for so much of that. But there's something that, a point you made that I think is really important for my listeners uh, to remember. And that is, uh, yes, we can get all of this great information, uh, but to decipher what's necessary or relevant for us really is where the working with so working with a really experienced and qualified uh, naturopath or doctor or dietitian or somebody that has specialized in this area has worked with hundreds or thousands of patients who really clinically has got a lot of experience they can take all of this knowledge and and apply it with relevance to your health picture and I think it's the it's the best money spent. It takes away a lot of the overwhelm that you experience as a patient. Uh, and then the person that you're working with then, it's there, It's up to them to try and figure this out. Um, you know, they, it's like passing the baton. Uh, they can carry the weight of knowledge and um, trying to piece this together. Whereas you as the layperson that hasn't done any medical training or 
naturopathic training or anything like that, it's really overwhelming to try and get your head around this as well as feeling sick. And I see that so commonly with people. They're sick. They don't have the right support. They're trying to do it themselves. They're doing it partially correctly and partially not correctly. And they're not getting better. And they're just feeling completely and utterly hopeless. And it's a real shame to see people feeling so sick for for longer than they need to. I agree. I, it breaks my heart when people come in and they're so despondent and they're exhausted. And I do sometimes have people come in literally with bags full of the supplements and say, I'm on this, I've tried this, I've done this. And as you say, often sort of on the right track, but not quite there. And it's the kind of thing that if, it, if it's managed well, you can. I mean, in my experience, I think... Um, an average period of time to treat SIBO would be about 12 weeks, maybe maybe sometimes 10, 8, getting really quite good. So it's it, like it's a, it's a fairly big thing to do, but during that period of time, you are feeling better week by week. Yeah. So in the long run, if, you, if I said to you 12 weeks down the track, you can start eating a whole lot of different foods. You don't have to wear elasticized pants. You don't have to plan where the toilets are, like all of that stuff. You think, okay, that's all right. I can do that. Yeah. I can do 12 weeks if that's yeah. what the outcome is. Absolutely. And, and I was I was that person. I started to feel a huge improvement by week four and by week 12, all of my friends were commenting on how much better I looked and I just, like I was a different person. I had never felt so good in my life when I did my first SIBO treatment. Now, sadly, I have relapsing SIBO because I have an abdomen full of uh, adhesions and it kind of really wraps around my intestinal system. So my um, body's ability to clear bacteria regularly is compromised. However, I'm only doing a SIBO treatment, I'd say once a year that I come to you and say, oh, Natalie, I think it's back. I think I need to do another treatment. Um, hey, you know, a, a couple of weeks and often I only do one round. Um, so a bottle, maybe I'll go to two bottles if I don't feel like it's really cleared it in that time. And then I'm good for another year. And so I think I'll, I'll do that if if I have to manage this condition rather than clearing it once and done and never have to deal with it again, which would be the ultimate, but sadly that's not for me at this point in time anyway. Um, you know, I'll take a couple of weeks, eight weeks on some um, herbal protocols once a year to keep feeling fantastic. I'll do that every every year for the rest of my life if I need to. <laughs> and actually, and that's something that I see all the time is if people do need a follow-up treatment, you know, if there's been a relapse, if we get onto it early, it's quick. It's often a fortnight, max a month. Just go back to the, you know, a stricter diet, take the antimicrobials, keep some kind of prokinetic going, and then you're good to go. Yeah. Let's talk about diet. So what importance do you see a SIBO diet or any kind of restricted diet in the role of natural SIBO treatment protocols? Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a really important part of it. How it's managed can vary. So um, if people just still eat foods that we know feed those bacteria, so, you know, sugars and, and you know, and lots of even if it's clean, healthy food, but lots of fibers and various carbohydrates, it's an uphill battle. You're taking the supplements to kill them, but then you're feeding them. And so, so it's crucial. I think it's really important. And I think the closer someone can stick with that diet, the more quickly the whole process will go. On the... Oh yeah, go on. I was just going to ask, um, you know, for the people that, so something I hear regularly is I'm really good. I start off the day with the perfect intentions and then by dinner, I'm just, I'm craving sweets or chocolate or cookies or whatever. And, yeah. and then I've just gone and literally eaten till I felt sick out of the pantry. Um, how, how do you help your patients who are kind of in that zone where they're, they're trying, but it's not sticking. Yeah. So the first thing I do is show them your books. <laughs> no, but really it is. It's like, okay, so if you're struggling, you need to plan your meals. You can't, you can't wing this every day. I mean, even people who are trying to do any kind of dietary change, whether it's SIBO or not, often our willpower and our intention is very good at the start of the day. And then you might have a day where things don't go quite as you expected or 
and and it's so it's very common so I think being organized is incredibly important having things in the cupboard that you know that you can go to so doing some meal prepping ahead of time really important this may not be the most um perfect strategy but <laughs> something that helped because I okay so I think the thing is is that once you break that you're good so breaking sugar is tough but once you've stopped eating sugar I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this, Rebecca. It's actually okay. You don't you don't crave it anymore. So you've just you've got to get through that that point. And so, one thing I recommend for people is um, really dark chocolate, like the 85 or 90 percent dark chocolate. Um, so it's quite high in fat and it's very low in sugar. And I just say initially. You have a bar of that chocolate everywhere in your handbag, at your desk, at work, in the kitchen, and it's it's actually a little bit hard to fully overeat on that because it's so rich that you do get full. And even if you grate it, say over some a little bit of blueberries and almonds, if you grate it, you just get that little chocolate hit without having to consume a huge amount. But I actually think things like that are helpful to once you've broken the back of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And for those of you who perhaps haven't seen, I've got um, they are the world's first SIBO cookbooks and they're based on the SIBO biphasic diet by Dr. Narala Jacoby, uh, Australia's leading SIBO doctor. And you have a four or five cookbooks now. I've written a few uh, to choose from. Um, but the thing that Natalie has mentioned, which is so important, and I work with my coaching clients around this and that is being prepared. And so I have done a lot of the hard lifting for you and written SIBO meal plans, depending on what phase you're following, be it the restricted phase, the semi-restricted phase or phase two of the biphasic diet. So all of the meals are planned out. You've got shopping lists. So you literally just buy what's on your grocery list uh, and then you just have to cook. Um, So, so much of that effort is taken away and it's really helpful for people who don't like to cook and don't like to plan uh, because that can in its in and of itself, when you're given the biphasic, biphasic diet handout, is it can be really overwhelming. And you can think, I don't even know where to start. And I remember feeling like that on the very first iteration of the biphasic diet. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm a really good cook and I'm feeling overwhelmed. So what's the um, person who doesn't like to cook feeling when they get this handout? And that's really what prompted me to create those cookbooks. Uh, but I do see that if you've planned out breakfast, lunch and dinner, and you've got some snacks, if you feel that you need them to start with, uh, and even if you make yourself a SIBO compliant sweet treat, whatever that might be. And I've got plenty of desserts and sweet treats on my website that are all suitable for either the low FODMAP or the biphasic diet. If that's where you need to start, start there. It's better to eat within the SIBO food list and use my recipes uh, as your starting point while you break a sugar addiction and a sugar addiction is, you know, it's, it's, Hey, I, I am the person that is, you know, very easily addicted to sugar and it's very easy for me to get back onto sugar and it's very hard to get off sugar. So I, I speak from personal experience, but if you can stick with a SIBO treat versus a regular treat and then calm down the, you know, the, the desire and the frequency of eating the sugar, um, then you'll find yourself suddenly going days and then weeks and then months without needing any of it. And it's a really lovely feeling when you get there and then you find the sweetness in other foods, like strawberries suddenly become so sweet and red capsicum or pepper becomes so sweet. And you're like, I didn't know this food was sweet, but you get to taste the actual sweetness and the natural sugars in foods that normally you would never have noticed before. And it's like your taste buds actually start working properly. They're not being just covered in processed flavors and sweeteners and all the rest. So true. So true. Yeah. I love it. I love it when natural food just ta- it tastes beautiful. You have a salad and you don't, you don't even want to put dressing on it. It's like, this is so nice. But yeah, yeah. when you've been eating sugar, you just don't get that. Yeah. Um, mm. Before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you around um, just another question around diet. And that is mm. how long do you like your patients to stay on a restricted diet or a SIBO type diet? 
for as short as possible, as quickly as we can, because we know we need those foods for the microbiome in the large bowel. So um, generally, uh, if things are going the way that I'd like them to go, um, I always ask people, to, as I said before, to retest. And then when we know that they're negative and that bacterial overgrowth isn't there anymore, we go straight on to reintroducing foods, but in a very systematic way. So we can't just, because even if the, the bacteria aren't there, it doesn't mean that your small intestine has recovered enough to still be able to absorb a lot of the nutrients. Um, and so you might still be getting a little confused. Are you having a food intolerance reaction? Or is it just that the digestive enzymes haven't kicked in? There still might be some local inflammation. So, so I love people to eat um, a, the restricted diet for as short a time as possible and then be really systematic with reintroducing it. And, and sometimes I will get people who are literally down to four or five foods. And so even while we're doing the SIBO treatment, I'm actually just trying to get them to fill out as much of the biphasic diet as they can. Yeah, the more the better. I think it's, and I totally understand it's really natural that you start to be scared of different foods. And because sometimes you seem to be able to tolerate one thing one day and not the next, then you just stop eating it. Because, and, and so it's very common. So then we've got to work out how to get those foods back in again. Yeah. That's a common thing I see with my coaching clients as well. And I love, love, love getting to the point where I have a client say to me, Rebecca, I just tried lentils or something that would normally have been just death uh, and that they're eating them. And, and in fact, I um, have a, a real life story coming up um, before season three of the Healthy Gut podcast finishes uh, with one of my coaching clients who was that person that was you know, really restricted and she's now eating such a wide variety of foods and feeling like a million bucks. And I can't wait to share that story because I know it will give inspiration to those people that are earlier on in their journey and they're looking forward to the point that they get where she is. So so exciting. I literally get, I feel like it's me that's experiencing it because I get so excited for my clients. <laughs> I am exactly the same. I love it. I love it. You know, the, I've had people who literally were restricting foods for decades and just thought that they would never be able to eat things again. And now they're going out to dinner with their friends. They're, you know, they're not being that person who always has to adjust the, you know, the menu or to, those things that we all hate. Um, and so not only are they healthier because they're getting more nutrients, but life's just easier. It's yeah. I love it. it. Is, it's my it favorite is a lot part. Easier. <laughs> Same here. So just yeah. to finish up, um, so we've talked a lot about sort of natural SIBO treatments and thank you for sharing the various protocols you would use for the different types of um, SIBO uh, dominance. Um, but Natalie, I'd like to just finish up on, uh, I guess if we take a, a broader view, we've been very narrow in SIBO treatments, but a broader view around just natural approaches to well-being and health in general and where whether you've got some sort of top tips or or key areas that you like to work with your patients around just around general health and well-being as they commence this road to recovery mm. for me the most important one I talk to people about every single time is sleep so sleep is it's where our repair happens it's where our nervous system can calm down I mean it's it's so important it's so restorative and and often people who have gut issues can have trouble with sleep so either di digestively they're really uncomfortable or they can even be in pain at night or restless leg syndrome is not uncommon with SIBO so um, I'm very aware that people's sleep might be compromised and for me it's a priority to get to get the sleep improved, whether that's through supplementation or we talk a lot about sleep hygiene, so the bedtime routine and, and, and all of those things. So that's huge for me. That's really, really big. I've noticed over the years just again and again and again, I mean, I think we all know this, but how much stress impacts our health and particularly our gut health. So um, I can have people who are doing quite well and then they have a period of stress in their life and we've not changed anything else and all their symptoms will, will come back. And so then we'll use, um, I'll switch and I'll just be using herbs and supplements to really help 
with their nervous system and help with their stress management and their gut will calm down because there's such a strong connection between the gut and the nervous system anyway. So stress management is is huge. Um, but for me, really, when I'm looking at health, I'm thinking about sleep, I'm thinking about diet and exercise. So I don't think people have to do a particularly full-on exercise. And some people are quite unwell and quite debilitated and certainly aren't up to going to the gym, for example. But even if it's a walk around the block once a day, because it's so good for our mental health, it's also really good for our lymphatic system. So our lymphatic system is part of you know our immune system and that we detoxify through. But it doesn't have a pump. It doesn't like the way our heart, the blood supply is pumped. The lymphatics aren't. So if yours stagnant, so is your lymph. So it actually helps you. It just helps on every level for your immunity as well. So I think um, people don't have to be killing themselves. They don't have to be doing high intensity exercise, but we're designed to move. It's really, really important. So the movement, the diet and the sleep, I think are my, they're like the three fundamentals I'll always look at. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Natalie Crutterton, thank you so much for coming back onto the Healthy Gut podcast to talk all about natural SIBO treatments. Uh, now, if somebody has listened to today's episode and they've thought, I really need to book in and see Natalie, how do they contact you? Sure. So we have a website, which is resonancetherapy.com.au. So resonance. It's a bit of a mouthful, resonancetherapy.com.au. Um, and I also have a Facebook page that you can contact me through called The Gut Health Naturopath. So either of those ways is, is fine. Wonderful. And I have linked both of those uh, in the show notes. So if, you're, if you'd like to make contact with Natalie, then please click those links. Uh, and her details are also on the um, podcast page on my website. So you can find that at thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. And Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming back onto the show. It's been a pleasure to hear more about your wisdom. And, uh, and I can just say thank you once again for helping keep me in a much better working order than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So that was episode 92 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. And don't forget, guys, you can get the full transcription from today's episode just by signing up as a member. So head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast and follow the prompts to sign up. And I'd absolutely love it if you could leave a rating and review. Uh, it helps me know that you're enjoying the um, episodes, but also it's really important for the person that has just found out they've got SIBO or they suspect they've got SIBO and they want to know if this is the right podcast for them to listen to. So I read every single one of your ratings and reviews and I really thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing so. I look forward to uh, speaking to you next week uh, with another episode of the Healthy Gut Podcast podcast. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.